Well, good evening to you. Wherever you may be uh, joining us now, I want to thank you for being part of our Good Friday service. You know, this is Holy Week, and it, it began actually on Sunday. Palm Sunday is when Jesus came in triumphantly into Jerusalem, where many uh, gathered and threw down their cloaks and shouted Hosanna for here comes our king, basically. And it leads right on up to this night, uh, Good Friday, consummates on Sunday, what we call Resurrection Sunday, as some people know as Easter. But the things that took place this week have changed uh, eternity, our destiny, and we want to celebrate it as difficult as it might be with some of the elements that took place against our Lord and Savior. The Passion Week is a week worth acknowledging. Of course, we know about the importance of Jesus' birth, but more important is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Will you take a moment to pray with me? I'm going to go into a, just a brief message about the cross. We're also going to spend some time in communion and the Lord's Supper before this, this night is over. But join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together, Lord God. People all over the, the world are, are viewing in with us, and we're so grateful for that, this opportunity that we have to share together as we reflect upon what you have done for us. I pray you be with us, Holy Spirit, as we communicate as best as we can the power of the cross, the demonstration of God that brought about salvation for every one of us. And we're thankful that we can indeed celebrate this life of eternity that was brought about by the crucifixion of our Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. May you say amen. I want you, if you would, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to John chapter 19. It's here where I'm going to just share real briefly with you about the, the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. Good Friday for us is one that we celebrate, and it's, it's kind of, sometimes it's a little tough to, to think about Good Friday with that term because it, it certainly wasn't a good day for Jesus. Uh, he was tried, as you know. He was... Uh, he was definitely innocent. They declared him guilty. And after that declaration, they con condemned him and whipped him almost to death. And then they led him to a crucifixion. The passage that I want you to look at in, in John is in chapter 19 and is verses 14 through 19. And here is what the, what the scripture says. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, uh, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And they responded. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is the place called Golgotha. There, the scripture says that they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote on the inscription that he put on the cross was, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King 
of the Jews. There's an author that I read several years ago, and the title of his book was called The Crucified God. It's a uh, German fellow by the name of Jürgen Moltmann, and he describes so brilliantly uh, the cross of Christ, the whole event that took place leading right up to the God-forsaken death. But there's a quote that he said in there that, that has just uh, has etched in my, my mind and my thinking uh, almost most of my Christian pastorate life. This is what he wrote. The cross is not and cannot be loved, yet only the crucified Christ can bring the freedom which changes the world. As much as the cross was a necessity, the horror of it cannot be ignored. And it, it's, it's a truth. Only the crucified Christ can bring the changes that we need, changes for the whole world. But when you think about the cross, you have to think about the pain that Jesus went through and the insults uh, that he faced, people mocking him and, and making statements about him, yelling at him, as we read about in Matthew 27. The loneliness that he experienced that he had never experienced before because it was a time where the, our God and Father placed all of the sin of the world on Jesus Christ. And because sin separates us from God, during that period of time, during those hours, during those moments, Jesus was abandoned or separated from his God and Father, our God and Father. The most lonely time that any person can experience. As a matter of fact, even when we talk about all of the the things that will take place in eternal damnation. The worst thing of all is being separated from God. Even those, of, those that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, they still have the benefits of God giving them the grace to wake up in the morning and to have the mobility uh, of their life and their limbs in whatever capacity that might be. The scripture says that God reigns on the just as well as the unjust. There's such a grace that every one of experiences every day because we're living in a world that God created and a, and a world that he wants us to engage with him and enjoy him. But there's going to become a time when mankind will have to answer for how they responded to this God and to this Christ who was crucified for us. And that eternal damnation when they have rejected this Jesus is an absolute separation from him. The scripture says to us that the wages of sin is death. Death, meaning eternal separation from a God who loves you. And so Jesus experienced that. He experienced all of the whippings. He experienced all the insults. He experienced all the pain. He experienced all the loneliness. But he also experienced the death. It's in John chapter 19, verse number 30. And the scripture says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. In the end, it was Jesus who chose this moment to die. I want you to consider this for a moment, knowing that he's the almighty God himself. The sovereignty of God yet chose a time when he knew that the Romans were using crucifixion as a means of death. Jesus could have came at any other time to give his life, but he chose that time. That time when the most uh, painful, the most humiliating process of death that any man could experience was taking place. And that's when Jesus chose voluntarily to come and to give his life 
to die as the Son of Man that every one of us may have eternal life. You know, when you think about what Jesus said when he cried out uh, that this, this loneliness from God, when he cried out about, you know, my God, my God, have, how have you forsaken me? You could hear the desperation in his voice at that time. But there's a whole transition when he declares it is finished. I'm a firm believer that when he said it is finished, there was a victory in his voice. It was like a marathon runner that has been pushing those, those 26 miles. And, and even though he's, he's weak and, and he's gasping for his last and he's exhausted and he's drained, when he breaks through that tape, he can declare, I have finished. I have got it done. I made it. It's over. The race is won. That's what Jesus did. He knew that he came as a ransom for all of us, that he came to give his life for every one of us. The words that he spoke there was not one of a defeated man. Instead, it was a shout of a victor. It was a a triumph. It was a declaration, a proclamation of someone that had completed what he was sent here to do. I want you to know this. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying that the redemption that the Father has given us was accomplished. When Jesus said it was finished, he was saying that our sin was atoned for. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying Satan was defeated and rendered powerless. When Jesus said it is finished, every requirement of God's righteous law had been satisfied. When Jesus said it is finished, every prophecy concerning him and our salvation was fulfilled. And and you know what I love about this? There was a moment when, when all the demons in hell were celebrating that they had the Messiah. They were literally down there having a party thinking, man, we have finally got him. But what they didn't realize that they were playing right into the hands of the Almighty God. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says this, and I love this. I mean, you, you, some folks don't think God has a sense of humor, but I'm telling you, this God is a God that will laugh right at you. He said this, but God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But watch this. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. Why? Because death could not keep him in its grip. Whoo, boy, that's some good preaching right there. Death could not hold him down because he was without sin. The only ones who are held down by death are those that are caught in sin, those that are sinful, those who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. Death has no authority over us who have given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just say these three things to you, and and I want you to prepare for communion. We'll go into a song, and then we're going to spend some time in the the Lord's Supper. But, But three things I want you to know from this death of our Lord and Savior. Number one is this, the price was paid to reconcile us to God. That's an amazing thought. All of us are born into sin. And, and even though God is always calling us to him in relationship, it's the sin that needs to be removed so that we can have a right, pure relationship with God. And when Jesus died on that cross, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. 
and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The only way your sins will not be counted against you is if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He died that you might be atoned for, or another way to say it, at one with God our Father. He died for that reason. And so Christ, the price was paid to reconcile us to God. Here's the second thing. The price was paid in full to enable us to live in complete victory. Complete victory. I love this passage in Revelation 12, verse number 11. It says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Catch this, what the scripture is saying. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus shed his blood, we are victorious. Because of what the work uh, of the blood of the lamb has done, we live triumphantly. And so we rejoice at what Christ has done. That reconciliation brings us together as one. Now, every one of us, every child of God defeats the evil in the world. How do we do it? We achieve this victory through our faith. Not faith that comes from us alone, but faith that comes into the work that Jesus Christ has done. And here's the the third thing and the last thing I'll share with you. The price was paid in full to give us full access to the presence of God. that's, That's it right there. We get to live eternally and fully in God's presence. You, you know, can I just share this with you? One of the things that people are afraid of when it comes to death, they're afraid of the fact that they're going to be separated from loved ones or they're going to miss the loved ones that they have here on earth. That's one of the things that people are concerned about. Do you know that's why the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is so amazing? Because Jesus died on the cross and makes us now at one with God in the presence of God, we get to live in full love, a greater love with not only our God, but everyone else who believes in Jesus for all eternity. The very thing that people think they're going to miss here on earth because of death is the very thing that God gives us in the fullness because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again what, what the scripture says, Matthew 27, 50. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And let me just share with you what that means. There was, a, there was always a separation on, on in, the, in the old temple courts where those who were special could go behind this curtain to be able to pray before God. But when Jesus died on that cross, that curtain was completely ripped apart, meaning that every one of us now have full access to our God. That's why the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us now go with confidence. We're drawn near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, you thought that cross that people wear around their neck was just some nice little flashy piece of jewelry. Or maybe the cross that people hang in people's houses was just something to signify the fact that they were Christians. The cross says more than that. The cross tells us that we now have a right to be in the very presence of God all the days of our life. What Jesus Christ has done for us is absolutely amazing. And the only way to know how that experience is, is to trust what he's done. I'm just going to pray with you, and I'm going to ask you to prepare your elements. We're going we're to spend some time 
brief time now uh, ministering in the, in the Lord's Supper. The team is going to take us into a song to prepare our hearts. But I, I want you to know this. Jesus Christ gave his life for us that all of our sins may be forgiven, that we might be eternally saved, no longer experiencing a death that overcomes us, no longer being separated from the almighty God. He was the suffering savior. He was the sacrificial lamb. He's the only way to God. He is the one that brings about salvation. He's the one that extends to us eternal life. He left heaven to do this for us. He became a human being to do this for us. He was born in Bethlehem to do this for us. He suffered and died like sinners so that he might do this for us. He gave us everything. And in that final moment, that final moment of his life, he declared triumphantly, it is finished. I've made a way for everyone to now have this eternal life with God our Father. I'm going to invite you to trust Jesus. As I pray right now, you might be wherever you are, wherever you're sitting in, gathered together with family or with friends. I just want to invite you to trust this Jesus for your life. He died for your sins. He died to save you. He died to forgive you. There's not one sin you've committed that Jesus Christ won't forgive you for. There's some things in your life that you've done that you have never told anybody about it. Can I just tell you this? Because of what Christ has done for you, that sin can be taken right to him. And I'm telling you, he will forgive you for it. He washes our sins away. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. And he proved that love by sending his very own son to die for us. I'm going to ask you to trust him. He'll love you, not just today, but he'll love you for eternity. Let's pray and we'll prepare for communion. Father, I want to thank you for this brief opportunity just to share about the death, burial, and resurrection of my Lord and Savior and your dear son. I pray, Lord God, for those who might be listening now, wherever they might be, that if there's one here, one there, one there, Lord, that has not trusted you, that today will be the day that they would surrender their life to you. Father, as they seek you, as they ask you to come into their heart and into their life, as they confess that they believe in you and believe that you were risen from the dead, I pray right here and right now that you would come into their life and make them a new creature. Change them from the inside out. Make them new. Let today begin a new day of their life where they know they got a God who loves them. They have a spirit that lives within them. And they got a Christ who will guide them step by step and day by day. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to minister. May Christ be revealed and glorified to everyone who's listened. Everyone, Lord God, who's experienced this time with us. May Christ be revealed. It's in his name we pray.
now to get some bread and just some grape juice will be perfectly fine. We're going to engage in a, in a sacrament, one that the scriptures tell us to do. And it, it deals with, of course, the shedding of blood. And this was instituted the first time that we see the Lord's Supper or communion, the Eucharist, the table of the Lord. The first time we see it is actually the night uh, that Jesus was betrayed. The first time we see it uh, in the New Testament, Jesus was betrayed. Uh, they were celebrating the Passover, which they were to do every year. And just to remind you that the Passover took place when the children of Israel were in Egypt. They were, had been in bondage for 400 years, and the Lord was preparing to deliver them. And Moses was sent by God to the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, he was called the Pharaoh, and he was told that God said to let his people go, to, to allow the Jewish people to leave Egypt, to go to their own land that God was giving them in Israel. Moses went to the Pharaoh time and time again, and each time he went to the Pharaoh, he kept refusing and he kept refusing. So the Lord decided to unleash 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. 10 plagues, 10 signs to show that God was to be obeyed, that God was to be honored, God was to be revered. The last of those plagues was the death of every firstborn in the land. That was the last of those plagues. Here's what the Lord said. He said, I'm going to send a deaf angel to come. He's going to come on this particular night, and I want everyone to be in their homes. He tells his people, the Jewish people, I want every one of you to be in your homes. I want you to have a lamb. I want you to have slain that lamb. And I want you to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And I want everyone from your household to be in that house behind the doorpost. Because this is what the Lord said, that when I come through the land, when the death angel comes through, anyone that does not have the blood 
their firstborn will be lost. It's, it's Exodus 12, 13, and this is what it says. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Listen to this. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Do you hear that? He's saying the plague of death will not touch those who have been covered by the blood. Understand what it's saying there. It's, that's, it's the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb actually that protected them. Well, that same blood, just like blood protected them, then the blood of a lamb, a bl the blood of a lamb protects us now. But it's not a lamb that you raise in your fields. It's the lamb of God. It's Jesus Christ. Listen to what the scripture says. This is the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. I hope you're understanding what this is saying. They were saved from death then because they had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. We're saved from death now. We're saved from the plague now because we have the blood of the lamb. They were told to remember the Passover every year, which they did. Now, because Christ is our Passover lamb, we're told to remember the communion or the Lord's Supper or the sacrifice of Christ. Often as we gather, as much as we gather, we're to remember what Jesus has done. And we do that in the form of a communion. That same blood protects us. Here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11:26. 26. For every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. I pray that you've gotten ready with your family. It's a wonderful time to, to do this. You're there in your homes. You're gathered together. You're reminded by this that your house is also covered. The blood of Jesus covers your home. And everyone in your household can be covered from the plague of death. Everyone, everyone in your household can have eternal life because of what Jesus has done. And this is an amazing time for us to remember that. So I'm going to ask you to take your bread now. I'm going to say a blessing and take your cup and we're going to commune together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, that we're gathering together in our homes, the various places where we've come together. And Lord, we lift up your body, the body that has been broken for us. This body, Lord God, was beaten and whipped. You were crucified. You were buried, Lord God, for our sanctification. And Father, we receive this body together. Let's eat together. And now in your hand is your blood or, the, or your cup, the juice. And this represents the, the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for every one of our sins. We take this cup and we don't take it lightly. As a matter of fact, we're, we're to recall what Jesus has done. And every time we do this, the scripture says we're proclaiming his death till he comes. In other words, what he's saying is every time we commune together like this with the bread and with the, with the juice, we're proclaiming we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we're remembering what he's done every single time. With that, I pray that you lift up your cup. Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed, for the cleansing of our sins. Let us drink together.
and may we give praise to our Lord together. God bless you. Let's worship.